Advanced Liaison with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. Uh, we're building towards uh, kind of a, a bigger set of ideas today, uh, and we're talking about the histone code and epigenetics. Uh, it's a pretty pretty big topic, but if you want something a, a little uh, easier to digest, well, head on over to uh, Anime Tour Bus, another podcast that I do with uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, and we talk about anime. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about uh, what exactly the histone code is. But like with most things that we talk about on here, in order to understand one thing, you have to understand another thing. <laughs> that thing you have to understand this time is DNA. Uh, so you have long strands of DNA inside of your cells. Uh, these strands uh, can't just be, you know, spread out. They, they would take up too much room. In fact, more than the, the size of a cell. So how do we deal with the fact that DNA is pretty freaking huge? <laughs> it's pretty sizable. And I mean, strands can be very, very long. Well, what occurs is that we uh, essentially like wrap up DNA. We spin it. So uh, you can even do this if you have a piece of string nearby or, or something that you know you can you can spin. Uh, so what'll happen if you spin that? You will uh, start to coil that string, and then that coiled structure will then begin to start coiling in on itself, forming a super coil, as as it is called. So this is the exact same thing that happens with uh, DNA. So what happens is that you have uh, DNA and you know it's it's double helix form. And when we start you know spinning it, start start tightening it, uh, what we add in is histones. These little you can kind of think of them as like tiny rocks to to keep it like wound around. If you think of uh, if you've ever used those cords, you know for for like mic set. Or, or something like that. Uh, the, the the central pieces that you wrap a cord around so that you know you don't break the cord or over tighten it or things like that. Um, or or if you have like a, a wire or uh, extension cords you, that you would like wrap this this piece around. It keeps it organized, it keeps it clean, and then so what happens is that these histones they come together. And they come in a repeating pattern, that is uh, H3, histone 3, H4, H2A, and H2B. I know what you're thinking, why can't it be cleaner and simple, 1, 2, 3, 4? Well, it's not, because people that make uh, these notations sometimes aren't always thinking about what ends up in the textbook. <laughs> uh, and then those will come on the other side with a matching H3, H4, H2A, and H2B. So a total of eight of these in, in like a double repeated pattern, a kind of opposite pattern. Um, and, and these will have the DNA wrapped around their bodies. They'll also have this little histone tail, uh, this, this amino terminal tail or in terminal tail. Uh, and that terminal tail will decide whether or not this thing easily is available for use. It's pretty weird. The best way I can think to describe it is imagine you have a whole bunch of bags and each of these bags has a zipper. Uh, if you wanted to get into the contents of one of those bags, uh, you would have to unzip the zipper. But what if one of the bags 
didn't zip very easily or didn't unzip very easily. Uh, that would mean you can't get into the contents of the bag, right? Uh, and that's, that's a very oversimplification of it. So what happens is that some of these things can have uh, methylation or acetylation. That is, a methyl group or an acetyl group will be added to the very end of the, uh, this little tail that's attached to the outside of the, uh, of the histone. It's change then allows for easy access, essentially whether or not the zipper will slide very easily. So let's say that I want to get at one of the DNA. I want to read one of them. I want to then take uh, you know, that DNA, make it into RNA, and then make that into protein, which is the, the dogma of molecular biology. So if we wanted to get inside of there, I would have to kind of stretch up and slide open these histones out of the way, then open up that set of DNA, and then access the genes inside of it. Well, <laughs> let me tell you that that is not always so easy. So we have a set of DNA that will either be open or closed. That is, it's available to be made into RNA, to protein, open, or it's closed, not available. It's, it's, it's closed for business. <laughs> uh, there's different types of modification that can occur that can affect this. Uh, it's, one type is known as phosphorylation, then there's acetylation, methylation, and ubiquitination. So we have essentially four different ways to modify the N-terminus, the, the amino acid tail of this histone in order to allow for uh, access. There are other things that can be added, uh, such as uh, ADP ribosylation and sumoylation. There, it's more complicated, but I'm trying to keep it a little bit more digestible. So let's talk about methylation first. So adding a methyl group to these amino acids uh, has been a sign of transcriptional activation. That is, it will allow for the opening, this, this access of the genomic region, that particular set of DNA. So if we, we are you know, making ourselves easier to unzip, easier to open, uh, we will allow for everything in that, that bag, that little area, to be accessed. Acetylation uh, is often associated with uh, histones that can't pack well together and will be allowing for openness of that chromatin. But then our story gets a little bit more complicated. So methylation of lysine and arginine, two different amino acids, are, uh, can occur. Um, methylations of uh, lysines on the H3 uh, histone uh, can be correlated with transcriptional repression. That means it's it's pushing back against you know making that zipper harder to open. So you're making something closed. Uh, it can so it depends on whether or not you know which histone is being methylated versus which is is being uh, not methylated. So you, two methylations, let's say dimethylation in H three K four, so the histone three uh, is going to result in repression. But if you have dimethylation in H three K seventy nine. Uh, well, that's going to result in activation. So we get this weird little chart of a variety of different ones that 
depending on the structure and how it's formed, methylation versus acetylation, uh, acetylation is almost universally activation, um, it allows for easy opening. Um, it depends. The answer is it depends <laughs> on which thing is being methylated, acetylated, and how many times it's being methylated, uh, what other, so ubiquitination or phosphorylation is being added. It changes the structure. And when we start talking about molecular genetics, there's this thing known as structure-function relationship. That is, the structure of something determines its function. And if something has a particular function, well, we can intuit its structure based on that function, the structure-function relationship. Uh, you can think of it like machines. You know, if I want to have a uh, something, if I want something drilled, I'm not going to use a hammer. I'm not going to use a mallet. I am going to use a drill. And the, the shape of the bit that I will use for that drill is determined by, you know, what its function is. I, I need a big hole, so I'm going to use a big bit for that drill. Uh, so, so there is this structure-function relationship that is iconic to molecular genetics. So we have this thing that is occurring, uh, methylation, acetylation, phosphorylation, ubiquitination, things like that, that are occurring that are changing uh, the genes and what is allowed to be read or not read. So if someone says, oh, it's my genetics or, oh, you know, it's just their DNA. Well, it's more complicated than that because you can have the same DNA as someone else, but if your enzymes can't interact with that DNA, you might as well not have it at all. What's the point? <laughs> if I have a, a set of DNA that allows me to be a superhero, it gives me superpowers and all that, but it's hidden behind these repressions, these, these deactivations of entire regions of your DNA, well then you don't really have access to those genes. You would have to modify those histones to allow for access to those genes. And there are ways to do that. We can potentially produce enzymes, or the body already has some enzymes, that post-transcriptionally, so, so after you know, your genes have been transcribed or, or you know, copied, uh, after that, it modifies these histones that it, it wraps itself around. Well, these enzymes, if we could demethylate, if we could uh, maybe add methyl groups to the ends of these N-termini, uh, we could potentially modify the histone code to allow for repression of maybe problematic genes or for the activation of desirable genes. Uh, this would be a way that you could potentially manipulate the genetic code without changing the genetic code. We do not have to physically go in and change a single thing, and yet we could still modify someone's genetic code, and that's a little spooky, I think. <laughs> but that's kind of where we get into this big idea of epigenetics. That is, you can uh, change how your DNA is, is read, or, or how it's affected without actually changing the DNA itself. And this is a huge area of study because you are more than just your DNA. 
I would like to do an entire episode on it at some point, but there's this very common argument that, oh, you know, gender is, is X or, you know, uh, someone's sexual preference is this and, you know, a guy is a guy and a girl is a girl. Well, even if we set aside the fact that, you know, you can have an XYY chromosome or an XXX chromosome or maybe just an X chromosome and, and have like these strange chromosomal combinations. These are different real people with real situations. But even if we set all that aside, even if we say, you know, let's look at what, what is our, our general wild type, individuals that have XX or XY chromosomes, uh, it can still be even more complicated to talk about things like gender or sexual preference and things like that because it's not just like uh, XX is, is a female and she will want to have, uh, you know, procreation with an XY male. It's, it's not so simple as individuals would like to make it seem. And one of the things like that uh, that causes that is things like epigenetics, where epigenetics is, is things that are aside from the DNA that still affect GNA expression, repression, uh, how, you know, much of an enzyme you make. Uh, you can, you know, have, uh, you know, the most powerful Y chromosome in the world, but that doesn't mean you're going to be the most, you know, powerful male in the world. <laughs> like, that's, that's silly. That's a childish way of, of thinking about genetics, and it's not what the science tells us. Instead, you can have things in utero that I will talk about on a different episode that can affect the, uh, the individual. You can have things, you know, outside of that, like your, uh, your environmental factors. So toxicology that you experience, many toxicology uh, items uh, accidentally release estrogen into the body. Uh, so, so if you know you get this weird release of estrogen in your body that is going to have significant effects because it's a hormone, it's going to affect your DNA and your your expression of that DNA. So it is a large factor that is more than just someone's DNA. And the histone code kind of gets to that is, okay, here's something separate from the DNA that's just kind of attached to the DNA, but can suppress entire regions of your DNA and allow for other regions to be read very easily. And I think that's pretty neat. But hey, that's enough for me. Thanks for listening. And hey, don't forget your safety glasses.